Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, a.k.a. the Red Shirt King, and welcome to another very special edition of the Less Than Legends podcast. You know, I've been mentioning Oracle's Elixir pretty much everywhere I've been over the last couple of weeks, whether it's talking to Walter on Guess the Lines or whether it's appearing on the analyst desk. So I figured it's about time we brought the man behind it himself, Tim Magic 7 who's and back on the pod. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Having a really good day today, especially. So I'm uh, glad to cap it off with a with a discussion with you for sure. Well, awesome. That's uh, it's always good to hear, and it's going to only get better as we get to talk about all this awesome League of Legends stuff going on. It's been a really interesting quarterfinals, I would say, but we're not going to really talk about that too much. I think we've recapped enough in this podcast space, so we're going to be looking primarily towards the future. And when you think about the future of this tournament, the first thing that jumps out to a lot of people is the news of the Gragas being disabled. Obviously, that Q-bug is something that Riot became worried enough about that they figured it was worth banning for the rest of the tournament. This is a champion that obviously had been picked quite often. Um, When you look at the stats and what you've seen from how these teams have handled pick and bans, is there a particular team that worries you as far as how they're likely to handle this new ban? And is there a particular team that stands out as being uh, particularly unaffected by this decision? I think the easiest team to talk about is, is origin. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be by any means the first to say that. And I'm sure I won't be the last, Uh, you know, amazing having played Gragas four times so far um, and gone three and one on it. So obviously, you know, it's, it's worked out fairly well for them. Um, I think they're going to be sad to lose it. Uh, Other teams, you know, Rainover's played it twice uh, nobody else, I think, that's in the semifinals has, has played it more than once. But uh, the the big effect will be, I think, on who do you go to after that? Because it's kind of been a default. Like, if you look at the, the champions picked in jungle overall, at least 38 games played, Rek'Sai 29 games, Gragas 29 games. After that, you've got Lee Sin at 14. And then the next highest played uh, jungle champion is three games. A couple of champions down there like, is everybody going to go to Lee Sin? You know, you're going to ban at least Rek'Sai Lee Sin every game? I don't know, because what if you throw two bans of the jungle? What if you throw three bans of the jungle, at least Rek'Sai Lee Sin? Who's going to come out? Like, it just, it's it's really unclear what's what's going to happen now. Uh, because before you could just ban at least, and then it, then you know it's basically going to be Gragas Rek'Sai. But now, what happens if you, uh, if you ban one of those two? Uh, or rather, Gragas being out already. What happens if you ban both of these and Rexai? Like it, it just opens up a whole world of possibilities uh, that that are going to influence the strategies uh, teams are going to bring in. Absolutely, and one of the things I'm really interested to see is how Red Side reacts to this. You know, if you're on Blue Side, it's very easy to ban the Elise. You have essentially all three bans to your disposal because most of the time you see Red Side banging, banning the Gangplank and the Mordekaiser. So if you're on red side, let's say the Elise gets banned and you don't want to give up the Rek'Sai, you want to put both of you onto suboptimal picks, as, as people would argue, well, then that's basically giving up your third ban unless you're willing to take the risk of Mordekaiser and Gangplank going free. Do you believe – what do you, what would you perceive to be a bigger risk just based on, on what we've seen so far, the Gangplank or the Mordekaiser or letting this Rek'Sai kind of dominate over whatever tier of champion comes next? You know, even as much as there's been a drop-off in games played outside of those top few junglers, I don't think anybody's going to cling so tightly to them that they're going to allow Gangplank or Mordekaiser through. That's just not going to happen. Every time it's happened, it's backfired on the team that did it. Uh, And and I just, I don't see that happening. I think we're going to see some more creativity in the jungle pools. Um, You know, I think we might see some Nidalee pop up. Uh, We might see, you know, Lee Sin, I think, will get a little more common. Like, a lot of people expected going into the tournament, honestly. People thought Lee Sin would be a higher priority uh, than, than he has been. But uh, I think we'll see some of these other, these other champions come through um, because I think a lot of teams are going to take that, especially on blue side, take that two-ban approach or at least uh, ban Illis or Rek'Sai, which forces red side to ban the other one uh, so that they don't end up with a huge jungle mismatch. So, yeah, I, I don't see Mordekaiser or Gangplank uh, making it through more often because of this now. Yeah, that's that's where it gets interesting, though, because if you ban the Gangplank, you ban the Mord, and let's say you ban the Rek'Sai because the Elise is in, well, now you've done zero targeted bans. And for some teams, maybe you can get away with that. 
but if you're trying to go up against SKT or you're going up against Fnatic, I think this could be particularly dangerous. One of the things I'm very curious about just in general, and we don't need to get too much more into it because it'll be hard to say just given how rarely we've seen Amazing bring out the Lee Sin uh, in this past year. Amazing theoretically can play it. You know, we saw him do it in Season 4. That's something that we have seen him do successfully on a competitive stage. And I'm kind of surprised we haven't seen it as much in this tournament. What we haven't seen is Rainover default to the Lee Sin. He goes for this Olaf pick, and the Olaf has not been very successful at this tournament overall. Obviously been played more in the top lane than anything else, but it's 4-10 in the tournament, uh, 4-6 in the tournament overall, uh, with one of those wins is that mid lane Olaf. If that's the way Fnatic defaults, I think that's something that Ku might be able to take advantage of. But we're going we're gonna to keep that to the side for now because there are you know, tangible things in these matchups that we can talk about. But before we do that, I want to talk to you about two stats that I find endlessly fascinating. The people that don't visit Oracle's Elixir regularly may not have known that you've been developing for a while. And this is the EGR and the MLR. The EGR being the uh, early game rating and the MLR being the mid to late rating. Um, could you just briefly explain to people who might not have seen you uh, your article on it before what these stats uh, indicate and how you can properly use them when trying to compare two teams? Yeah, absolutely. So this was a project that I worked on for quite a while, actually, uh, trying to come up with just all the, the right uh, inputs into it. Uh, the early game rating is is really the crux of it. That's uh, the the center of, of these two stats. They are, they are paired stats. So uh, they they're based on one another. Early game rating. Uh, the interpretation boils down to, on average, what percentage uh, likelihood to win does a team give itself as of the fifteen minute mark? Uh, I picked fifteen minutes as the cutoff between the early and mid game. Uh, there's, you know, I tested some different options there. I wanted to make it a multiple of five just for kind of ease of interpretation, but stuck with the fifteen minutes. So the way that that's built is I looked at all of the games that I had on file from the entire summer split, every league other than China for which the data isn't available. They just don't release it. Uh, but every other major pro league, uh, promotion series, challenger leagues took all of those games, put them into a model that says, let's take the gold differences between the two teams at 15 minutes. Let's take the dragon differences. So plus minus how many dragons, uh, and then let's take which side of the map they're on because blue side typically has a bit of an advantage. So just wanted to balance that out. And it based on all of those uh, games, there are something like 800 games in there, uh, there. It's able to kind of predict based on how much gold difference is there, what's the dragon difference. Therefore, this team it has a 75% chance to win or a 86% chance to win, whatever it is. So using that, we can then look at how a team performs at the 15-minute mark say, you know, in, in in each game, what's their percentage chance to win, average that out, and we get a we get a very simple number at the end of the day that says how well they're doing as of the 15-minute mark. The mid to late rating is very simply the difference between their win rate and their, their kind of expected win rate based on their early game performances. So if they are expected to win 60% of their games based on how the, good their early game has been, but they've won 70% of their games, that means they've got a plus 10 MLR. So that one is is uh like i said the the early game rating is really the the core of the of the equation mm-hmm. and the mid late rating uh, is just kind of based on that and follows through from it right which is why if you're looking at say <coughs> sk telecom for instance they have an 80 egr and then a 20 mlr because they've won 100 percent of their games so that exactly. would have to add up in that way in the same way so that bangkok titans has a 15.7 egr and then it goes to minus 15.7 because they lost all of their games yeah, so if you add the two numbers together, it will equal to their win rate. Right. So it really does a great job of looking at just how much these teams are able to put themselves in a winning position in the early game, which kind of leads into this Origin versus SKT game. Because Origin is a team that has kind of been identified throughout this tournament as a team that prefers the mid to late game team fight oriented, you know, the mid lane Anivia has been a huge priority for them in a way that I don't think anyone could have predicted at the beginning of this tournament. Uh, how much of an impact do you think SKT's dominant early game has on setting the tone for this particular matchup? I think it's going to be the defining feature of the series. 
Uh, we haven't really seen SKT be tested beyond the early game. Uh, you know, more not not really, not in a meaningful way. They've made some stumbles in the early game and kind of made things look close. But it's never looked really like they were going to lose a game. And that's really a lot of how SKT plays is they they get themselves a lead and then they close. Like it, it largely comes to just, just being as simple as that. An 80, 80% chance of winning every game they play, like on average, that's that's completely insane. So when you compare that to a regular season mark, uh, any team that gets above like a 65 EGR, that's really, really good over the course of a regular season. The fact that SKT has played nine games and has an 80 is <laughs> is really unheard of when you look at, at what's happened in any of the domestic play. So some of that comes from the, the weak opposition they fa- they faced in their group stage. But they did, you know, just about as well as that. Like, I think after the group stage, it was in the low 80s, and it came down to an 80, so it was somewhere in, somewhere in the 70s for the AHQ series. So it was, it was a little weaker when they played kind of a stronger team, and AHQ did fairly well, uh, you know, with what they were given. But, but uh, yeah, I, I think Origin, since they, of the, of the semifinalists, they have the weakest early game rating uh, at a 51.0. So... It's that's really going to be you know can Origin survive the early game? I don't think they need to win the early game to take a game off SKT. I think that they need to survive to fifteen minutes and then survive to twenty minutes, survive to thirty minutes, and just keep it like two three thousand gold gold difference, and then they'll have a chance. But that's going to be really really tough for them to do. Yeah, and that's been one of their difficulties when we've seen them lose. You know, in both of their losses in the group stage, when they played LGD, they were down 4,000 gold at the 15-minute mark. Against KT, it was 3,000 gold at the 15-minute mark in Week 2. Those were insurmountable uh, for them to come back from. And honestly, when you get that kind of deficit in the, in the early game, even if your late-game uh, macro strategies are on point, it's really hard to come back from that. And that's not taking into account that SKT has also proven to be a rather good team-fighting team uh, throughout the regular season. If you're Origin and you're looking to turn that around, is there a particular lane or a particular matchup that you could look to attack in terms of trying to give yourself a better chance of surviving that early game onslaught? I think it's really just got to be about the solo lanes are the ones that need to survive. And the the bottom lane, uh, Niels in particular, is the one who has to he has to go you know he he doesn't have to keep things close he's got to probably go even uh and, and try to get ahead uh if anybody gets ahead they they, they really want it to be Niels. uh so as has played a lot of utility when you compare the four top laners and semis so as does by far the the least uh, of his team's damage uh, uh because he's playing things like lulu uh a lot of the time that that the other players uh pretty much just aren't so you know that it's partly because of the champion OS plays. It's also partly because of how the team plays around him, how much attention they give him with jungle pressure and, and so on. Uh, because Origin really wants their their bottom lane to power up and be the ones that uh, that have an influence on the game. And I think that plays somewhat into their really long game times, which was heavily commented on during the quarterfinals. It was one of the kind of real standout stats that everybody loved to bring up how long their games were. But I think when they are so focused on their AD carry, that naturally plays into drawing the game out longer because it takes an AD carry longer to power up than it does uh, generally a solo laner. Uh, AD carries need you know to have three items, four items before they can really have a huge impact on the game. So I think that's what Origin is going to want to try to do. Uh, they're going to want to use their two TPs to just maintain their presence in lane. If they get shoved out, they can... They can go home. They can teleport back in again, not lose too many minions, and and hope that they can survive long enough for Niels to kind of come online and start taking over the team fights with his damage output. Yeah, you know, and that's that's definitely where this is going to end up because Niels has done very well once you get to the late game. His Sivir and Callista have both been incredibly good at farming. His Jinx, despite never having seen it in uh, in competitive play before this tournament ended up being very good as a hyperscale. But the problem was that early game pressure. As, as we've mentioned before, the only champion that that Niels has been able to have early laning pressure and turn that around has been the Sivir. He actually has uh, 2.5 kills plus assists at 15 minutes 
on that particular champion. With everything else, he's less than one in that regard. Meanwhile, Bang has been on just a different level based on the help that he's been able to get because the team hasn't had to put any attention on the mid lane because Faker kind of takes care of himself. Now, the one kind of interesting wrinkle in this is that it won't be Faker taking care of himself. It is Easy Hoon. As the interview on uh, on Liquid Legends pointed out earlier and has now been confirmed on the LOL Esports site, this is Easy Hoon playing in the mid lane in this particular matchup. Is there anything when you just look at Easy Hoon and his playstyle and what we've seen from him both you know, in this tournament and just so far this season that points to why he would be a better matchup going up against Xpeke and a team fight oriented origin team uh, than the faker that we would traditionally expect in this kind of big spot. It's hard to say if you, if you go off of the very general uh, ways that faker and easy are portrayed uh, faker is really the, the aggressive laner Uh when, whenever anybody brings up a criticism of Faker, it has to do with him pushing the lane too hard and potentially setting himself in position to be ganked uh, or to, to have his aggression turned back on him. Izehun uh, is very known for, as far as I can remember, things like Ziggs back uh, back in the past, uh, stalling champions. The two, two he's played so far at Worlds were Karthus and Twisted Fate. Uh, Karthus especially fits into that mold, kind of the, the sit back and farm, uh, stall the game out more of the kind of standard AP mage style that when you look at what Xpeke has done so far at worlds and, and, and what he's done honestly all year is there was used to be a lot of comment on uh, Xpeke didn't roam out a lane much. He loved to stay and farm. He wasn't very active. He didn't get involved in much of the team's fighting until kind of much later in the game. That sounds kind of like easy Hoon, uh, at least the kind of the traditional view of easy Hoon. So I wonder if, if SKT is trying to match Xpeke's playstyle to some level. Uh, if they are wanting to just maybe throw Origin off a little bit and say, "Oh, you you were planning for Faker and haha, now we're actually going to hit you with something different," I think those are a couple of the potential reasons. Another one is maybe just that they think, "Hey, Izuhun's only played two games so far. Let's give him a bit more of a World Championship experience. Let him play some games so that he feels more like part of the team and, and gets to be involved a little bit more." And then. You know, when we hit finals, then we'll let Faker come back in and make sure we win. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, there's there's a little bit of that sense to me that that SKT has that they're not too worried about this series. Nobody really gives Origin much of a chance to win the series. Uh, they say, you know, it'll be it'll be tough for them to win one game, but maybe they can do it. So with that attitude in mind, and if SKT is thinking that way as well, maybe they're just bringing in Isihun to to kind of give him a bit of a a kick at the can just just as part of his experience but but setting that arrogance aside which i hope is not the case because it doesn't it doesn't resonate well with me but if we set that aside i think it's probably the play style thing uh maybe they think that easy hoon can match expecte's farming uh maybe they think he can help to keep expecte locked down a little bit who brings teleport every single game in the mid lane i'm not i'm not sure exactly Exactly, but maybe it's something along those lines. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you look at it and you see Faker as the ultimate aggressive mid laner, someone who can con- you know constantly calculate when he can grab kills at any given point, and you look at Xpeke who plays you know pretty safe, stays back and farm, um, looks at you know how he can get his team to the late game and, and get those individual fights. It's really hard to get the ganks on someone like an Xpeke Westor. He's going to be out of position all the time. Uh, whoever they play in the finals, whether it's Fabivin or Kuro, these are guys that you know are willing to take some chances. Xpeke has been very happy just sitting back and getting it to the end of the day, uh, you know, and just getting to that point where he can take advantage of these hyperscaling champions himself. And I guess Easy Hoon can match that. I don't think Faker would want to match that. He could. I just don't think it's his particular style. Easy Hoon is much more that style. And the only other theory that I think we should mention is that this allows Faker to keep even more picks secret right now. Like, we've seen his rise. We saw him play Olaf one game. But we don't really know what it is Faker's going to want to play in this final series. There's still a lot of mystery around it. I don't think it's going to be Cassidy after what we saw this week. But, you know, Rise Lulu doesn't give that much away. 
Uh, now there's a whole other series if they feel confident enough that Izihun can take this, where you get to hide that information from whoever your finals opponent is, while also playing Izihun, who, by all accounts, may be a top five mid laner in the world in his own right, that just happens to be on a team behind the greatest of all time so far. So it, it's it's very interesting to me. Is is there anything that you see as far as this Origin team that makes you believe they'll be able to be the first team to take a game off of SKT in this tournament? I think the most likely opening for Origin to take a game is if if the Izihun sub is part of this is part of SKT taking Origin lightly. Uh, if that's the case, I think we could see a situation where where SKT drops a game. Uh, I think it's more likely uh, that it would be SKT losing a game rather than Origin winning a game. Uh, and I don't mean that as any disrespect to Origin, but I I just think the the gap between the two teams is big enough that that for Origin to win a game, it's going to have to be because SKT kind of let it happen uh, because they made mistakes because they drafted poorly. Uh, I think that Cassidyn pick, for example, was a sign of of SKT drafting whatever they felt like because they're SKT, they're going to win anyways. And so far it's proven to be the case. But I think we've seen in previous years, we've seen this happen with Korean teams. They go up to two games in a series. They they let a draft go free and kind of free and loose and and have fun with it. And then they lose a game and they go, wait a second, maybe we can't win with draw picks. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then they go back to something more standard and crush it in the fourth game. So that that's happened in the past. I think it could potentially happen again this series. Uh, and I think Origin is a good enough team to capitalize on on uh, an SKT, kind of like SKT taking the foot off the pedal uh, a little bit. Uh, Origin can capitalize on that. AHQ couldn't. I think they had the chance to, but they couldn't quite get there. I think Origin might be able to do it. But if they do it, it's going to be because SKT picks themselves into poor lane matchups. Uh Origin takes advantage of that and is able to keep the game close enough in gold through the early and mid game that it hits the late game and Origin does something surprising uh, and pulls a win out of nowhere. And, and you know, I, I could see that happening in one of them. I wouldn't say it's better than a 50% chance. It's maybe a, like a 30, 35% chance that that happens in maybe game two or three. But, you know, I, I think it could happen. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that's always in play. And I think you're you're correct in pointing out that you know, it, game three against AHQ is definitely one of those. We saw Samsung White do it to TSM in the quarterfinals yeah. last year. Uh, it, it, exactly. is, it is something that happens. And I agree with you. Origin is, is more likely, in my opinion, to make the right call. AHQ, really, people forget, they were one bad Baron call away from winning that game. They had four Dragons. They had all the map pressure. It was in their hands, and they, and they threw it away with a very poor Baron call. But that's not the kind of mistake that Origin makes. The mistakes that Origin makes have mostly have to do with giving up too much in the early game and then having to scramble to find their way back. It would be very interesting to see if SKT can, you know, keep it together for all three of those games. I'd like to think that by the semifinals, some of those, you know, goofy kind of tactics are, are out of the playbook, but they're also playing easy when in this series, so it's it's really hard to say. If you had to make a prediction, Tim, given everything that you've looked at, uh where do you think this series ends up score-wise? Uh, I'm predicting a 3-0. Uh, that's not only formally on the record here, it's formally on the record in, in my own preview article that's uh, that's in the can right now. So, I like I said, I think there's maybe a 30-35% chance Origin takes one of the games, but I'm expecting a 3-0. Yeah, I, and I think that's totally fair. Honestly, this is one of those things where if you're an Origin fan... You've just got to be happy that your team went from playing in the Challenger Series in spring to now making it to the semifinals at World. This is this is an unbelievable performance from this team, honestly, in terms of how quickly they've been able to mesh, uh, how they were able to find you know Hermit and how his strategies were able to put them on a different level in that week one of the group stage. You know, he's, they've really got something going on there that I think is going to be special in the long run and a semifinals performance in your first year as a team at worlds that's pretty darn impressive losing 3-0 to skt will not change any of what they've accomplished so far uh and unfortunately skt is just skt at this point but the teams that are going to try to challenge skt next week uh are fanatic and coup which ends up being a maybe a different series than a lot of people were expecting 
but a very interesting series in its own right. When you look at this matchup, what's the first thing that just jumps off the page in terms of something that could be a difference maker between these two teams? It's going to be uh, all about the solo lanes. I think the Febvin against Kuro matchup is going to be huge. Uh, and then I also think the Huni and Smeb matchup, uh, if you're just looking at players that, that are going to make the difference in this series, those are the, the places to watch. Uh and then, you know, as support of those, you know, what are the junglers going to do to help those those players get ahead? But but it's really going to be about whether each team can get its solo laners off the ground uh, and, and, and running with a lead. I think both teams play in, in kind of different ways. Uh, and, and it'll be, you know, it, it's going to be kind of a war of styles, too, because... Fnatic, you know, I said earlier, SKT is is all about kind of building the early lead and then close the game. Like it's that simple. Fnatic, I think, is is possibly even more of a you know embodied by by that description. Fnatic is all about let's get ourselves a small edge, a small lead somewhere, usually in the top lane, and then use that to break the game wide open and shove the entire map down and close the game out as quickly as possible. Uh, and the Koo Tigers, on the other hand, are, you know, I, I think they had too much of a stereotype in the past of not being an early game team. I think early game performances have, have been really impressive at Worlds. Uh, they've got the third best early game rating of any team at Worlds. Uh, but it, historically, they've been more of a kind of survive the early game, activate in the late game, uh, and, you know, in, in incredibly intelligent shot calling, uh, very good map play. They don't make very many mistakes and they, they win the late games as long as they can get there. So it's been a bit of an evolution of their style, but I think they still have that team in them. And, and it's really going to be a war of the play styles between Fnatic trying to crack the game wide open early on and just snowball the way to victory versus Koo trying to match that early game in enough to come online later and punish kind of any, any kind of failure to snowball that Fnatic gives them. Yeah, well, that's been the interesting thing when you watch this Q team, is that they've they've been the masters of this reactive play style, if you will. It's not that, you know, because they, they've had these very strong early games, but they haven't done it in the conventional ways. You look at their first blood rate, only 40%. Uh, first tower rate, only 50% of the time. Uh, you know, the first dragon is actually much more in their favor, but we've kind of learned in this tournament dragons aren't, uh, as much of a thing as we maybe thought they were going to be heading into this tournament. What's been interesting is how they've been able to prey upon the little mistakes that teams make. You know, yes, you might hand someday two kills in games one, two, and four for KT, but anytime he overextended just the teeniest bit, there was Hojin and Smeb turning it around, getting those couple kills back, and making the most out of every little mistake. And now they're going up against Huni, who has been one of the most feast or famine top laners, I think, at this tournament. A guy that, you know, you can make a highlight reel with some of the crazy kills he's been able to pull off. But on the other hand, he has this pretty high death rate compared to other people at his position. Do you think that this is an advantage or a disadvantage for a fanatic as far as how their, you know, how their play style matches up with Ku that that Huni is such an aggressive player that you kind of have to build around if you're fanatic. You know, I think there's potential for it to go both ways, but the difference that I see between Huni and Someday is the way their teams play around them. Uh, with with KT Rolster, everybody knows Someday is KT Rolster. Uh, you know, Everybody on the rest of the roster is really good. I'm a big fan of Score. I think he's super underrated in the jungle just in the fact that nobody talks about him. Uh, Peekaboo, uh, Peekaboo gets talked about a lot. But the, their team really comes down to someday. And yet, they, they feed him a lot of their gold. They feed him a lot of their jungle attention. And yet, you saw all these situations against, uh, against Koo Tigers where someday would be pushed up in his lane. He would get ganked, get killed. Uh or, you know, overestimate his own ability to duel. But Score was doing something somewhere else on the map. And I don't use that as a judgment of Score. I use it as a judgment of that team's ability 
ability to understand what are we trying to accomplish right now? Are we trying to accomplish a big top lane push and building someday a bigger advantage? Or are we trying to accomplish something in the mid lane, something in the, the bottom lane, uh, more jungle pressure and warding? And meanwhile, if, if they are trying to do something on the bottom half of the map, then why is someday pushed so far forward? Mm-hmm. Compare that to Fnatic, who Huni loves to push forward. That is kind of what he does. But whenever he does that, Rainover is there. Somebody else is there. Or there's a teleport play happening. Uh, Fnatic is never, it seems, doing something that the team has not planned around. So, you know, it, it, there, there are times when Huni has gotten killed when he shouldn't have, when he's gone somewhere he shouldn't have been. But that's it's an individual mistake, not so much a, a team mistake. So it, it's a little bit different to me. It's not that those mistakes are forgivable, but that Fnatic seems to know uh, more clearly what they're trying to accomplish on the map at any given time. That makes Huni to me a bit more of a strength because it's very clear that Huni and Febovin are the ones who need to get snowballed. And so Fnatic is always planning around what's our next move to get those two ahead, to get our team ahead, to build this small advantage into a medium advantage, into a big advantage. And they don't make enough mistakes in those game plans that I... Uh, they don't make as many of mistakes in those game plans as I think KT Rolster did in, in the series last week. So I think there's potential for the Ku Tigers to, to do some kind of counterpunching against those mistakes, but I don't think they're going to get a ton of mistakes to work with. So I think that's going to be the, a really big narrative of the series. Yeah, well, first of all, I think it would be very hard to make more mistakes than KT Rolster made last week. That was, that was some of the weirdest shot calling I've seen in a long time, including that Baron call in Game 4, which... I don't remember a sillier decision in such a big moment. It, 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 it was a very uncharacteristic game from KT in some ways, but Ku, it was a perfect kind of coup series to just capitalize on every single one of those calls. And I definitely agree with you that Fnatic is not likely to do that. However, Nofei is very smart. He's got to understand, uh, given how much he's just shown in terms of you know prepping for, for best of five situations and getting his players ready to attack particular team weaknesses, he's got to understand that, you know, Huni and Rainover try to be a duo as much as possible. So the likely result then would be to have Hojin try to turn things around in the mid lane and keep Forbidden from becoming the monster that he has often become in this tournament. If you're Ku, what do you need to do to get Kuro in a place where he can surprise some people and and keep even enough with Forbidden to keep that mid lane onslaught from overwhelming them in the early to mid game. I think champion picks, you know, the, the drafting of mid lane is going to be very important uh, because I don't think inside the game with the actual game tactics, it's there's not a clear strategy to to what to do there because if you focus your your in game kind of your your map movements, your, your jungle pathing around supporting Kuro against Febovin, that means you're not supporting the top lane, mm-hmm. uh, and it's very difficult to to focus on both of them at the same time. Uh, typically, Fnatic will allow Febvin to get his own advantages while Rainover helps Huni with his. Uh, so if you're going to throw your jungle pressure at the mid lane, if you're the Ku Tigers, and try to kind of punish any kind of lack of Rainover being present, then you're you're not probably going to be countering Rainover's pathing. So you need to give Kuro a champion that he can do that that game plan on you need to give him either somebody who can farm safely uh or somebody who's aggressive enough uh in just just a straight counter pick to whoever febovin picks something along those lines because i i don't think the coup daggers can afford to give much of their jungle pressure to mid knowing that top is where fanatic prefers rain over to be yeah no that's reasonable and i think that if you're coup tigers your goal is to get Kuro on that victor as often as possible uh, that's been a champion that he has been incredibly successful with, both in the World Championships and also just throughout the LCK season. It was by far his most successful champion. You know, Emily Rand likes to make the joke whenever she comes on this podcast that Kuro is really good at Victor and not very good at champions who you would think he would be good at because he's good at Victor. You know, the Vigar, those Event Horizons were just kind of a step behind, and he struggled with the Azir pretty mightily in his career. Getting him on the Victor or on another champ in which he feels comfortable, whatever that is, is going to be so huge in giving them a chance to to hold off that Forbidden, who has just been incredible throughout this tournament in a, in a lot of different ways. But the, I guess the one matchup we haven't talked about is 
the bot lane here. And, and I want to ask you about something kind of more specific. We've seen the AD carry cannon three times now from Fnatic. Uh, we've seen Gorilla play it pretty extensively in the LCK throughout the summer season. Do you think this cannon is a contested pick for this bot lane, or was the cannon a particular attack towards the teams that Fnatic was playing in both the group stage and in this quarterfinal series against EDG? If I had to guess, I'd say the cannon is something the Fnatic had been prepping uh, as kind of a surprise pick that people wouldn't know how to play against or wouldn't be expecting to play against. I don't know if it's very hard for me to say if they planned it against uh, specific opponents, you know, if it was something about that week two group stage where they said, you know, here's how these teams play. We think an ADC cannon would counter that. I don't really know, but what I think may be the case is that Fnatic wasn't planning to bring it out in week two. I think they were planning to wait to see their their knockout stage opponents and see whether there would be a good fit there. And it was just something they'd been practicing in the meantime. But I think once they lost two of their games in week one, they probably found themselves in a position of, okay, we can't play our champion. We can't play our draft stages uh, safe anymore. We can't hide our kind of surprise picks. We've got to bring something out that makes sure we, we win our group and go three Oh. And so they brought out the ADC cannon and they, and they did. And that's not the only thing they did, but, but I think now that it's out there, there uh they might still use it i think that the main value is that it's a flex pick uh it could go in a lot of different places on the map for them uh i think they'd they'd probably still prefer it to go to the ad carry uh position given what they they like to do in top lane and support which is the other places you might expect to see it Mm -hmm. uh but i i don't know that it was that it was a specific counter pick to something i think it was more of just a get the opponent off balance and and not only on off balance within the game you, you okay i'm not sure how to I'm not used to playing against Nady Cannon. What's he going to do next? But I think also within the draft itself, since it is that flex pick, uh, you pull it out and somebody thinks, okay, it's going topper support. And then suddenly you pick a different topper support and you've kind of messed up their draft plan. So I think they don't have quite as much element of surprise in the draft stage now. People have seen it a couple of games. They're going to know a little bit better how to manage it within the game itself. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm not sure we'll see much of it anymore going forward. Uh but it's it's really a, it's really a curious one, and it obviously it's worked very well for them. Yeah, and it's been a particular comp that's made it work. It's either the Shen or the Alistar as a support that gives you you know some disengage to keep the landing safe. It gives you you know this kind of global pressure to to make sure that they can you know kind of roam around and and, and put them you know other guys in the positions they need to be. It's got the Victor, which gives you the zones of control in some of these team fights and the gravity field that can make it really easy to land some of these cannon ults. Uh, you know, it's it's just, it's, it's a composition that they've proven enough success with that even if it's not a surprise anymore, I wouldn't be surprised if they managed to bring it out again. I'm more interested, I guess, in wondering whether Gorilla tries to pick it away from the team just to keep that, you know, quadriflex, as some people have pointed out, uh, away from Fnatic's hands and make the drafting phase for uh, for Koo Tigers that much simpler. Uh, do you think that that's a direction you could see the Koo Tigers going in, or does that not necessarily complement some of the AD carries that Prey has been so consistent on so far this series? He's played it pretty extensively in the uh, in the LCK summer season. Okay, because so I knew there were some players who did in Korea, and I couldn't remember if he was one of them, but I mean, normally you see a cannon support with uh, someone like, like a Sibber or a Callista who can help him engage the fight. Because the cannon support is all about engaging team fights. It's all about initiation. You want to uh, speed boost yourself in there. I, you know, uh, either get a Sivir alt or a Callista alt to help you get into the fight, flash in the middle of their team, and then everybody follows up. An AD carry cannon is pretty different, I think. The play pattern from from the way I see it is is not about throwing yourself into the fight because support cannon, if he gets blown up as soon as his ult goes off, well, as long as it hits some people in the meantime, that's kind of okay. They've wasted their damage on you. If the AD carry gets blown up initiating, that's pretty bad. It's more about uh, more about peeling. You mentioned putting it alongside the victor, so you've both got that uh, that AOE control, uh, some some crowd control, and and a lot of AOE damage uh, through those kind of overlapping zones. It's more it's more a little bit about kind of hanging at mid range or, or even hanging a little bit back and and helping yourself to kite a little bit 
or following up the CC somebody else has brought. Uh, you know, Alistair knocks somebody up and you're instantly on them with a cannon ult and you're bursting them down as a group. So I think the play pattern is different, pretty different between the two of them. Uh, if Gorilla is going to to take on that cannon, I think we're going to see it if they get a Callista. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know if, if Ku is going to play a Sivir. Yeah, it feels unlikely to me, but maybe they will. But if they get one of those champions, they might do it. At the same time, I think it's it's less likely for Ku to take the, the, the cannon than for Fnatic to do it because because the Ku Tigers have been more successful when they're able to counter-engage, when they're able to to punish a mistake rather than make the proactive play themselves, mm-hmm. which is not to say they, they don't or can't make proactive plays. They, they do some of it, but they can also get themselves in trouble on some of their proactive plays, as we saw against the Flash Wolves and also against KT in Game 1 when it was uh, Ku trying to put themselves out there, uh, get on the front foot and then they they didn't quite do it properly and they got punished for it so canon as a very proactive support champion i'm not sure that it's what ku is going to want to do against fanatic because they know fanatic is always going to bring the fight to them so unless they're planning to use the canon support as a as a counter engage uh and use it kind of like i was describing the way any ad carry canon would use it maybe they want to do that but i think there might be other supports that would be better at that kind of counter bunch approach yeah uh, tom kench being one of them yeah i was gonna say the tom kench kind of stands out as uh, a champion that we have seen uh gorilla play pretty successfully so far and it's something that i i think has become more and more terrifying as we've gone through this tournament as far as those disengage options go now now you brought up a very good point that when ku has struggled it has been when they have been forced to try to make these reactive plays to get back into games all three of their losses were when they had fallen behind in the uh, in the early to mid game, to the extent that they felt a need to force some plays, and whenever they're trying to force these fights, uh, that's when they tend to be at the most risk. What can they do as far as you know, playing certain objectives and moving as as a unit rather than some of these individual matchups we've talked about so far, to ensure that they're not forced into that position? where Fnatic's early game has pushed them to a point where they have to play this more scattered style that hasn't lended itself to success for them so far. I think to some extent they need to play scared a little bit. I think against the Flash Wolves, I think they probably felt a bit of superiority. Like, sure, you know, we aren't doing, we aren't, we aren't winning this game super hard right now, but we can, we can make a play. It's going to work. We're going to win. We're the better team. That's the feeling I got from some of those mistakes they made when they tried to initiate a fight. Uh, when it, it just the the opportunity wasn't really there, and and they got punished for overreaching. I think against Fnatic they need to play a little bit more, and and I think they will. They need to play a little bit more, uh, a little bit more scared of what the enemy is going to do. They need to be really sure that their play is going to work. Uh, they're they aren't like Fnatic in that you, that they are comfortable or experienced with trying a play that has a 70% chance of winning and then of succeeding and then making it work. Uh, I think they, they have less experience with that kind of risky playmaking. Uh, They're more likely to make a mistake on one of those and not quite coordinate it properly. So they, they need to hang back a little bit. They need to play a little bit safe uh, and, and use that to kind of fuel them to towards their play style. Uh, because if they aren't playing the way they play, if they're trying to be a team that they're not, I think they're going to get themselves in real trouble. Yeah, no, I agree wholeheartedly. It's Right now, you've, you've got to be looking as fanatic and saying, you know, we lost two games in the first week of the group stage. We got a little bit ahead of ourselves. We've said in interviews that, you know, we let some of that ego kind of get to us after such a great day one. We've locked it down since then. We've played our game. And if we just play that and, and don't take these unnecessary risks... Uh, I think they're going to be fine. Uh, I think this is a team that has proven it can compete with the best of the best so far. Uh, a 3-0 against EDG, I don't care if China's underperforming at this tournament. That's impressive no matter who you are. Uh, and, and it's a really interesting matchup to me. You know, to, and, and maybe this is taking it a step too far, but I see this matchup as Europe's ability to prove that you can install the same kind of, the same level of infrastructure that we've seen be so dominant in Korea. You know, you look at StarCraft 2 and you look at all these other esports that have been huge in Korea and everyone points to how Korea is better because they have the team houses, they have better coaches, the 
you know, they get the players to buy in, they practice more efficiently, all these, all these things. And here's Fnatic, who I think more than any non-Korean team we've ever seen seems to be matching those same kind of ideals. And this is the ultimate test. If they can pull this off against Nofei, who has been so smart in picks and bans, who has done such a good job at preparing this Koo Tigers team to perform at a level that a lot of people didn't know if they were going to do after how they looked in the summer playoffs, this is something that could prove that, you know, this could be the roadmap for base any struggling organization, whether it be China, the rest of the West, however you want to look at it. Fnatic could be the, the proof that you can replicate this if you handle things the right way and learn the right lessons rather than just throwing money at the problem, which is something we've seen China in North America do pretty regularly. But that's, again, that's my kind of grandiose theory crafting on what this could mean. The real question, and this is something more tangible that we can talk about, is where do you think this series ends up? Taking everything we've talked about into account, what, uh, where did you end up when you, uh, when you wrote your preview article? My prediction for this series ends up as a 3-1 for Fnatic. Hmm. I could equally, I think it's more likely to see a 3-0 than it is to th- see a 3-2 for, for Fnatic. Uh, I think 3-1 is probably a, a balancing point of where it'll end up. And the reasons for that are, you know, while Ku is this really good counterpunching team, uh, while they're really good at turning an opponent's mistakes on themselves, I don't think, like I, I kind of said it before, I don't think Fnatic makes enough of those mistakes for Ku to win three games off of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Fnatic is too versatile for Ku to prepare against effectively. I think Ku has has a great reputation and, and uh, track record for uh, coming up with ways, unique ways to beat an opponent's style uh, or just unique ideas in general. You know, go back to the Juggernaut and everything, which has been talked about a lot before, but. But the problem with Fnatic is, yes, they have this this clear, defined style of get a lead, snowball it, close the game hard and fast. Uh, but they do that in very different ways. They do that with Huni a lot of the time, but they also do it with Febivin. Uh You saw the, I think it was the, the game that Huni played on Draven 4. Huni got a little bit ahead of the start, but then he started getting beat on really bad. They started focusing him, and he fell way behind. But Febivin in the meantime, had gotten strong enough that, that he could be the one to take that game over with all of his victor damage output. So I think given that that Fnatic is, you know, they, they've got a certain kind of core strategy, but they've also got a ton of versatility in how they make that strategy play out. They've got way more diversity in their champion pools than I think we've even had a hint of yet. I think that Ken and AD carry was, was the tip of the iceberg in what they might bring out when it's time for it. Uh, I think if this series against Ku starts, you know, if they lose one game, if they lose two games, we're going to see something kind of different potentially. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I think, you know, I think they've got some things that Fnatic is hoping to save for the finals because uh, we've we've seen certain patterns in their their play, certain patterns in their champion picks, and just a hint of how deep the champion pools of every player in that team are. Uh, I think they've got too many different looks to throw at a coup. Uh, they've got too good team execution as a unit. And I don't think Ku is going to be able to to keep pace with that. Uh, I'm, I'm really going hard on Fnatic here. And <laughs> and it sounds like I'm giving Ku not very much credit. But, you know, I, I, I just... I, that's the way I see it playing out. If Ku manages to to exploit some mistakes that we haven't seen in in Fnatic's play, uh, I'll be really impressed. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think there's a reasonable chance of of, of Ku doing pretty well. But but I, I think the gap between everybody talks about the gap between SKT and the rest of the world. I honestly think what we've seen from Fnatic so far, once they started taking the games a little bit more seriously and and buckling down after that week one, I. Th- think they have a gap between most of themselves and most of the rest of the teams in the world as well. Uh, uh, I think we're going to see it on Sunday. I think that's very possible. I picked I picked the series to go three to two, but I'll admit my reasons are a little bit silly. I just I find it hard to imagine that there won't be one series in this bracket stage that goes to five games. We haven't had one <laughs> yet, and I, I just feel like if anyone's going to come up with you know one really weird you know counter pick strategy 
Uh, in one game where Huni just overextends a bit too much, I can see Ku getting two, but I do think Fnatic's the better team here. I would not be surprised by a 3-1 at all. And honestly, one of the things that you know people hate when you bring it up, because everyone always wants to give credit to the winners because they did what they needed to do to win, but if KT plays the way they did in the group stage, I think KT wins that series. I mean, I think game one was was firmly in KT's favor. I think game four was in their favor until they threw it at, again, that really dumb Baron fight. And they've, you know, they've been that team before. It was picks and bands that let them down. It were, it were little mistakes that, that continually piled up on them. And those just aren't the mistakes that Fnatic makes. You know, if, if Fnatic's going to go down, which I, I don't think they will, but it will be for very, very different reasons that what sunk KT in that series. And I just, I haven't seen enough from Koo to believe that they're going to be able to take advantage of a, enough things, as you've said, to really take this series, but it's going to be a fun one. I'm I'm really excited for the idea of an SKT versus Fnatic finals. It would be really awesome to see Forbidden versus Faker, and you know Huni versus Marin, and just see you know how that whole matchup goes. And and it's 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 going to be quite fun from here. But uh, but I want to thank you, Tim, for being on the pod. As always, it is lovely to have you. Uh, where can people find both you and your work? So you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, Twitter, uh, the the username is uh, MagicLol, M-A-G-1-C-L-O-L. Uh, you can find my articles at unicorn.com slash community. Uh, and also just make sure you're always checking the stats at oracleselixir.com. I'm keeping those updated as freshly as possible as, as the games end. So uh, keep an eye on those. And uh, I think they provide a lot of fun things to talk about. Yeah, no, I've been using Oracle's Elixir like crazy for all these pods. I could not recommend it more highly. Um, you can also, by the way, find me on Twitter at, at RedShirtKing. If you haven't followed me by now, seriously, get on that. Um, I love talking to you guys during games. I'll be live tweeting during all of the games for sure. Uh, if you guys ever have any questions or anything like that, I love talking to you guys. Um, we've got a couple more podcasts coming on the way this week. I know we have at least one more uh, tomorrow you guys can expect that and then uh, there might be an Into the Rift appearance coming up soon so get excited for all that Uh, it's an exciting time to be a League of Legends fan and until next time goodbye internet